I, I was walking straight uh, somewhere uh, in Erskineville, and I heard two or three boys uh, talking uh, about the show in English. And, you know, behind me, he was walking behind me. And I just uh, turned around and I saw they were talking about the show and, you know, happily smiling and uh, laughing. And uh, they were talking about uh, the candidates, some of the candidates on the show, you know, what they think of the candidates and commenting on the girls. So this scene is probably familiar to you. You're walking down the street or maybe you're hanging around at work and everyone is talking about some television show. What's different here is the show they're talking about. It's not Game of Thrones or Mr. Robot. These are teenage boys in Sydney gossiping about a dating show. They're gossiping about this show. Welcome to Think Digital Futures, where we bring you stories from the digital age. I'm your host, Josh Nicholas. So today we're going to be talking about television, specifically reality dating shows. These have become huge in the last couple of years, with the likes of The Bachelor really taking over our national conversation. But it's not the Australian shows that are the most interesting. Those teenagers from earlier, they weren't gossiping about The Bachelor. They were talking about a Chinese dating show. You might have heard of it. It's called If You Are The One. It airs on SBS and has quickly gained a rabid following. It's weird and brutal and brilliant. It all takes place on a flashy purple TV set with 24 women and one male contestant. It feels a bit like a cross between Family Feud and some kind of weird variety show. There's a bizarre host and a psychologist in a chair on the side and discussion and debate on serious issues interspersed with videos and performances and other weird moments. Wait, he's beatboxing again. And she's rapping She's too. rapping. <laughs> she's rapping to his beatbox. <laughs> okay, I can understand why people watch this show now. It's just, it's just chaos and, and a lot of the time it doesn't make a whole lot of sense or what's translated might not make a whole lot of sense to us. This is Jake Morecambe, one of the producers of this show. We ran into the studio to watch some clips and get a feel for what's happening. So they do a lot of their, the, the, I guess, historical and cultural values really come into this show a lot where they talk about like past emperors and empresses and their values when it comes to pursuing relationships. So there's this weird, like deeply rooted cultural thing that then encourages them, them to make their decision on whether they like someone or not. Watching this show, what's really striking is the women. It's how they interact with the male contestant how honest and brutal they are about themselves and the contestants and just life. 
how confident they are. The women on this show will blatantly call the male contestants boring or ugly or unimpressive. You feel for the guys, but you also have to wonder how did this happen? What would it take to get you on a stage like this, beamed out to households around the world, and be this honest? I doubt I could do it. But let's go back a little bit, because it hasn't always been this way. Dating shows aren't actually that new. In China, they've been around for close to 30 years. Thanks to things like the one-child policy, there were a whole bunch more males than females, and those guys needed some help. The first uh, television dating show uh, emerged uh, in 1988. So this is Dr. Pan Wang, a lecturer and researcher at the University of Technology, Sydney. She's talking about a show called Television Red Bride. It popped up in the late 80s as a kind of dating service for rural farmers. Sort of like an old school version of The Farmer Wants a Wife. Initially, the show aimed to provide a service for the male you know, bachelors, especially in rural Shanxi province, to find a mate, you know, because they really struggled to find a proper mate because of, you know, in part because of the one-child policy. And there was a man uh, from the local area who dared to, to be the first person to be on the show, you know. It actually took three months or so for, for the show to get it started. You know, people would can still consider, you know, showing themselves in public, looking for a spouse, their love in public. It's kind of... Um, impossible and it's kind of shame in a way especially for daughters but what did these early shows look like was it just a guy a farmer getting up on getting in front of a camera and going like this is what i am i like yes. long walks on the beach was that, that yes it just a guy there um actually briefly introduce himself and his family background and then he would be reciting a script you know that prepared earlier um you know, the criteria um, that the, of the person he was looking for. I've taken you back to the 80s for two reasons. One is just to show you how far dating shows have come. I mean, these original shows were really nothing more than the home shopping channel for guys. There weren't any roses or challenges where they jumped off a cliff. There weren't this amazing freewheeling conversations or hurling of insults. It was all rather boring. But China itself has also come a long way in this time. The way people think about dating and marriage has changed phenomenally. When television Red Bride first hit the airwaves in the 80s, love and marriage weren't discussed in public. Love was a private thing. Marriage was a contract between families. You just couldn't express yourself and your desires the way contestants do today. Television dating started to chip away at this. Is a significant step, though. Mm. It meant to bring uh, personal intimacy, you know, um, personal affairs from the family, from the domestic area to the public space. It's unprecedented. It's a public thing which allows people to discuss, allows people to talk about and debate about it. So, so what, what, was, what was the reaction? I can imagine if this is, you know, the first time this is happening and he's breaking down some of these barriers, 
what was the the reaction in the community in in the outside and were like if he found success were people were men rushing to get on this show now you mean in the earlier times in the earlier times um no it's pretty it wasn't that popular <laughs> no um yeah pe- because people were conservative and uh, it uh, worked to an extent but it wasn't that popular especially for the first girl who was on the show was criticized and condemned by her family yeah because she was a girl and a girl that time even in the late 1980s as i said people were still conservative you know it, it's a kind of a shame for a girl to I mean, in some conservative views, to to expose herself in public, and are looking for a partner. So yeah, this is never think of. But I like today. Yeah. You see, shows like if you're the one or let's date, uh, Red Rose date. Those girls are highly, highly empowered. So this gets to a bit of the larger issue behind the evolution of Chinese dating shows over the last couple of decades. These shows reflect and have even pushed a profound empowerment of women. When you look at modern Chinese dating shows like If You Are The One, they're full of professional people speaking their minds, often brutally. They're open and honest about their search for love and what they're looking for, a companion, social status, money, whatever. All of this is out in the open and up for grabs, and it contrasts starkly with what women's lives were like before all this began. Under Confucianism, women were really little more than property. Their place was in the home, not on the national stage. In the past, women they were having uh, no social, economic rights. They were excluded from social and political activities. Uh, they were only confined in the domestic domain, and they uh, were considered properties themselves. Also, yeah, they also have no uh, inheritance right. Um, they have no land rights and they had to sub- subordinate um, themselves to their husbands, to their sons, and uh, like widows, they, it's impossible for them to get ma- to, to remarry somebody. And uh, so women's social economic status during that time, both inside and outside family, uh, were very, very low. These restrictions on women have eased over the last century. The introduction of communism and Maoism, the Cultural Revolution, all took swings at the traditional patriarchy. In the late 80s and early aughts, China passed a couple of laws guaranteeing freedom to marry, which ensures men and women can marry who they want and even get divorced because the relationship doesn't work. And all of this was reflected in television, especially dating shows. TV stations starting importing shows from the West and places like Taiwan and Korea and the homegrown Chinese shows change rapidly and massively as well, becoming more entertaining and experimenting with the format. There were group dates rather than a personal advertisement in the in 1980s. There was speed dating during the 1980s because some of the shows were based on the Western model, you know, uh, like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, you know, but it's not the same at all. If You Are The One is the logical conclusion to this long evolution. What we are really seeing is how far women have progressed from the Confucian past. You can see this in the sheer amount of subjects that come up during some of the episodes. It really is an incredible avenue for expression. 
The men and women on this show are empowered in ways they've never been and might not be normally. They are there to find love and a partner, but also for more than that. They're there to talk. It's a gigantic free-for-all. They address critical issues like um, social morals, uh, gender equality, and uh, extramarital affairs, or like divorce, rising divorce issues, and like the intergenerational gaps. You know, when you talk about something, you're not only talking about that topic. That will be associated with a lot more. So you also discuss that. And plus, the show also gives people a platform to show their talents. And you see a lot of people are performing their uh, talents over there, uh, like singing, dancing. It's a way to express yourself. It's a way to liberate yourself. You know, on that show, people actually enjoy the whole process of being there to participate in the show. They know they're part of something bigger, not only just for the purpose to find that person, you know, the Mr. Wright or Ms. Wright, but to enjoy the whole process uh, to discuss things, be involved in society. I've got a bit of a surprise here. So my... My friend showed me the um, Instagram page of this of this show, and it's got some pictures with some of their questions, right? Right. And some of these questions that these women are asking these men are just brutal. And yeah, so, some they of are. these some of these things, like okay, well, I'm trying to find one now. You're very good, but I don't like you. I'm sorry. That's so. A woman has said that to one of the male contestants there. That's. That's brutal for us, but that's also brutal when you consider what you've just told me, the context of how in, even 30 years ago, it would have been ludicrous to have a woman in this position at all. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's why the show, I, I, I say women are highly empowered and that also shaped uh, the power in the gender relations uh, in a way. Definitely um, girls subordination in the past and uh, even now inequalities between men and women still persist in different spheres of life but on the show what you see is the opposite so um, and even the show is it's opposite but that's in public is under public gaze but we don't know um, you know after the show um, inside a family if it is the case we'll have to question that so um, but at least what we see from the show it's it's um, girl power the entire society seems to have shifted quite away in this 30 years how do you think the shows tie in with that are they just reflecting what's happening are they driving a bit of what's happening like how do they interact with society at large i think the shows they're, they're like on the one hand they're like a mirror they they do reflect um what's happening there you know in society that is the messages are conveyed by audience um ideas, you know, how the audience comment, what they say, what they talk about, that all reflect on the show as a generation of thinking. 
On the other hand, it's a propeller. It, it pushes, you know, uh, it advances people's thinking of uh, their perceptions of love and marriage and other values and other things. You know, it, it's a, basically it's two function, I think, eh, at least, you know, to, to reflect what's happening here and also to advance the way how people perceive mm, love, marriage and courtship and sex, you know, all these things. Yeah. So I guess the next question is, how does all of this compare to what we see in Australia? We might not have the same 30-year history of dating shows and societal revolution that China does, but our society has come a long way from the expectation of a nuclear family. What do our dating shows look like? What are the contestants looking for? How do they reflect our society? I guess they're looking for the idealised version of love. When you watch these shows, you see this beautiful man and this beautiful woman get together and it looks so perfect and everything's very uh, stylized and beautiful and it's a bit that fairy tale uh, aspect. It taps into that a little bit, I think. This is Jen Rota. She's the news and entertainment editor at Pop Sugar Australia and has written about dating shows for a couple of years now. She's also interviewed a fair amount of the contestants from Australian reality shows. On the face of it, You might not think our shows are as serious, with their beautiful people and amazing locations, but when you place it in context, it it really is. I think most of the girls genuinely are there for love, speaking specifically about The Bachelor. Um, (laughs) They are there for genuine reasons, and they just see it as another option in this sort of digitised world. I think they just want what they've seen so far in the years gone by and it's not that unrealistic anymore because love is actually coming out of these things. Okay, well, break this down. So yeah. one thing you said is that it's an idealised version of love and that's that sounds really interesting in the sense, like, is this reflecting society and what we want or is it mm. that is what we want because we now see it on TV? Like, yeah. is, it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing, but yeah, what, what kind of totally came first? Is. I don't know what came first. I'd say, like, Disney came first. (laughs) And then um, I think there was... I don't know, actually, like, how to to answer that, really, because it's hard to say whether TV shows have influenced the dating world or if it's, like, all a byproduct of, like, online dating now. It used to be so weird to go online to find someone. Now it's totally normal, which is great. So it's like the same things happen with TV and I just don't know if girls, uh, women ever lost this, lost sight of what they really want is like that fairy tale romance. Um, I think that's just always there for most women, not to generalise too much, but it is something that everyone seems to want. Um, and I think we lost it a little bit with online dating, became a bit more clinical. And then the return of these shows, like or the sort of rise of these shows, um, has put just that fairy tale edge to things again. I think it's just a bit of a fantasy. Talking to Jen, it's obvious Australian shows have had their profound shift over the years. They started out almost comically with the original Bachelor, but have slowly evolved alongside the likes of Tinder and online dating to a point where they are serious modes of connecting in a society that is changing fast. And as the formats of these shows change, they show another side to love and marriage that we don't see in mainstream media. I think um, the issue I had with The Bachelor when it first came out was that, yeah, the man had all the power and he just 
you know, there was one guy and 24 females who were getting their hearts broken. <laughs> it was kind of hard to watch a little bit. And then um, they introduced The Bachelorette here, which is the opposite, where the woman has all the power. And it was an interesting take on it because you don't often see men getting challenged to uh, to find a woman. They kind of generally, in society, it seems like men get the pick. You know, they kind of approach the woman. Traditionally, they'll approach the woman and they sort of are expected to make the first move. That's obviously changing now, which is great. But um, it was sort of fun to see on TV that women can have the power and sort of... Um, be a bit more assertive about what they actually want rather than waiting around for a guy to pick them, which I think, yeah, empowers women. I think it just um, equaled it, evened it out a bit, I think. There's a weird, there's been a weird shift over the last few years, um, and I, I do think it's about the way the dating world in general has changed. I think people are much more open to different avenues. Um, to finding the one Um, and I just think the whole world in general like the way technology has changed we use you know a computer to find love these days so it's not that weird to use a tv show to find love Um, I just think it's the way this generation is growing up everyone's kind of more open more accepting of different formats You've been listening to Think Digital Futures, stories from the digital age. You can subscribe to our podcast by searching for Think Digital Futures on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. If you've liked what you've heard, please rate us and leave a review. It helps us get discovered. This program is a collaboration between UTS and 2SER. I'm Josh Nicholas. Talk to you next time.